Section twelve of My First Summer in the Sierra. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. My First Summer in the Sierra by John Muir. Read by Adrian Pretzelis. August twelve. The sky scenery has changed but little so far with the change in elevation. Clouds about point zero five. Glorious pearly cumuli, tinted with purple of ineffable firmness of tone. Moved camp to the side of the glacier meadow mentioned above. To let sheep trample so divinely fine a place seems barbarous. Fortunately, they prefer the succulent broad-leaved triticum and other woodland grasses to the silky species of the meadows, and therefore seldom bite them or set foot on them. The shepherd and the don cannot agree about methods of herding. Billy sets his dog Jack on the sheep far too often, so the don thinks, and after some disputes to-day, in which the shepherd loudly claimed the right to dog the sheep as often as he pleased, he started for the plains. Now, I suppose, the care of the sheep will fall on me, though Mr. Delaney promises to do the herding himself for a while, then return to the lowlands and bring another shepherd, so as to leave me free to rove as I like. Had another rich ramble, pushed northward beyond the forests to the head of the general basin, where traces of glacial action are strikingly clear and interesting. The recesses among the peaks look like quarries, so raw and fresh are the moraine chips and boulders that strew the ground in nature's glacial workshops. Soon after my return to camp we received a visit from an Indian, probably one of the hunters whose camp I had discovered. He came from Mono, he said, with others of his tribe to hunt deer. One that he had killed a short distance from here he was carrying on his back its legs tied together in an ornamental bunch on his forehead. Throwing down his burden, he glazed stolidly for a few minutes in silent Indian fashion, then cut off eight or ten pounds of venison for us, and begged a little, little, of everything he saw or could think of—flour, bread, sugar, tobacco, whisky, needles, etc. We gave a fair price for the meat in flour and sugar, and added a few needles. A strangely dirty and irregular life these dark-eyed, dark-haired, half-happy savages lead in this clean wilderness. Starvation and abundance, death-like calm, indolence, and admirable indefatigable action succeeding each other in stormy rhythm like winter and summer. Two things they have that civilized toilers might well envy them—pure air and pure water. These go far to cover and cure the grossness of their lives. Their food is mostly good berries—pine-nuts, clover, lily-bulbs, wild sheep, antelope, deer, grouse, sage-hens, and the larvae of ants, wasps, bees, and other insects. August. 13. All day sunshine. Dawn 
dawn and evening purple, noon gold, no clouds, air motionless. Mr. Delaney arrived with two shepherds, one of them an Indian. On his way up from the plains he left some provisions at the Portuguese camp on Porcupine Creek, near our old Yosemite camp, and I set out this morning with one of the pack-animals to fetch them. Arrived at the Porcupine camp at noon, and might have returned to the Twalmley late in the evening, but concluded to stay overnight with the Portuguese shepherds at their pressing invitation. They had sad stories to tell of losses from the Yosemite bears, and were so discouraged they seemed on the point of leaving the mountains, for the bears came every night and helped themselves to one or several of the flock, in spite of all their efforts to keep them off. I spent the afternoon in a grand ramble along the Yosemite walls. From the highest of the rocks, called the Three Brothers, I enjoyed a magnificent view comprehending all the upper half of the floor of the valley, and nearly all the rocks of the walls on both sides and at the head, with snowy peaks in the background. Saw also the Vernal and Nevada Falls, a truly glorious picture, rocky strength and permanence combined with beauty of plants, frail and fine and effervescent. Water descending in thunder, and the same water gliding through meadows and groves in gentlest beauty. This standpoint is about eight thousand feet above the sea, or four thousand feet above the floor of the valley, and every tree, though looking small and feathery, stands in admirable clearness, and the shadows they cast are as distinct in outline as if seen at a distance of a few yards. They appear even more so. No words will ever describe the exquisite beauty and charm of this mountain park. Nature's landscape garden at once tenderly beautiful and sublime. No wonder it draws nature lovers from all over the world. Glacial action, even on this lofty summit, is plainly displayed. Not only has all the lovely valley, now smiling in sunshine, been filled to the brim with ice, but it has been deeply overflowed. I visited our old Yosemite campground at the head of Indian Creek, and found it fairly patted and smoothed down with bear tracks. The bears had eaten all the sheep that were gathered in the corral, and some of the grand animals must have died, for Mr. Delaney before leaving camp put a large quantity of poison in the carcasses. All sheepmen carry strychnine to kill coyotes, bears, and panthers, though neither coyotes nor panthers are at all numerous in the upper mountains. The little dog-like wolves are far more numerous in the foothill region and on the plains, where they find a better supply of food, so only one panther track above eight thousand feet. On my return after sunset to the Portuguese camp I found the shepherds greatly excited over the behaviour of the bears that have learned to like mutton. They are getting worse and worse, they lamented. Not willing to wait decently until after dark for their suppers, they come and kill and eat their fill in broad daylight. 
The evening before my arrival, when the two shepherds were leisurely driving the flock towards camp half an hour before sunset, a hungry bear came out of the chaparral within a few yards of them and shuffled deliberately toward the flock. Portuguese Joe, who always carried a gun loaded with buckshot, fired excitedly, threw down his gun, fled to the nearest suitable tree, and climbed to a safe height without waiting to see the effect of his shot. His companion also ran, but said that he saw the bear rise on its hind legs and throw out its arms as if feeling for somebody, and then go into the brush as if wounded. At another of their camps in this neighbourhood a bear with two cubs attacked the flock before sunset, just as they were approaching the corral. Joe promptly climbed a tree out of danger, while Antone, rebuking his companion for cowardice in abandoning his charge, said that he was not going to let bears eat up the sheeps in daylight, and rushed toward the bears, shouting and setting his dogs on them. The frightened cubs climbed a tree, but the mother ran to meet the shepherd, and seemed anxious to fight. Antone stood astonished for a moment, eyeing the oncoming bear, then turned and fled, closely pursued. Unable to reach a suitable tree for climbing, he ran to the camp and scrambled up to the roof of the little cabin. The bear followed, but it did not climb to the roof, only stood glaring up at him for a few minutes, threatening him and holding him in mortal terror. Then went to her cubs, called them down, went to the flock, caught a sheep for supper, and vanished in the brush. As soon as the bear left the cabin the trembling Antone begged Joe to show him a good safe tree, up which he climbed like a sailor climbing a mast, and remained as long as he could hold on, the tree being almost branchless. After these disastrous experiences the two shepherds chopped and gathered large piles of dry wood, and made a ring of fire around the corral every night, while one with a gun kept watch from a comfortable stage built on a neighbouring pine that commanded a view of the corral. This evening the show made by the circle of fire was very fine, bringing out the surrounding trees in most impressive relief, and making the thousands of sheep-eyes glow like a glorious bed of diamonds. August 14 up to the time I went to bed last night all was quiet, though we expected the shaggy freebooters every minute. They did not come till near midnight, when a pair walked boldly to the corral between two of the great fires, climbed in, killed two sheep, and smothered ten, while the frightened watcher in the tree did not fire a single shot, saying that he was afraid he might kill some of the sheep for the bears got into the corral before he got a good clear view of them. I told the shepherds they should at once move the flock to another camp. "'Oh, no use, no use,' they lamented. "'Where we go, the bears go too. See my poor dead sheeps. Soon all dead. No use try another camp. We go down to the plains.' And, as I afterwards learned, they were driven out of the mountains a month before the usual time. Were bears much more numerous and destructive, the sheep would be kept away altogether. 
It seems strange that bears, so fond of all sorts of flesh, running the risk of guns and fires and poisons, should never attack men, except in defence of their young. How easily and safely a bear could pick us up as we lie asleep! Only wolves and tigers seem to have learned to hunt man for food, and perhaps sharks and crocodiles. Mosquitoes and other insects would, I suppose, devour a helpless man in some parts of the world, and so might lions, leopards, wolves, hyenas, and panthers at times, if pressed by hunger, but under ordinary circumstances perhaps only the tiger among land animals may be said to be a man-eater, unless we add man himself. Clouds, as usual, about point zero five. Another glorious Sierra day, warm, crisp, fragrant, and clear. Many of the flowering plants have gone to seed, and many others are unfolding their petals every day, and the firs and pines are more fragrant than ever. Their seeds are nearly ripe, and will soon be flying in the merriest flocks that ever spread a wing. On the way back to our Tuolumne camp, I enjoyed the scenery, if possible, more than when it first came to view. Every feature seems familiar, as if I had lived there always. I never weary gazing at the wonderful cathedral. It has more individual character than any other rock or mountain I ever saw, excepting perhaps the Yosemite South Dome. The forests, too, seem kindly familiar and the lakes and meadows and glad singing streams. I should like to dwell with them for ever. Here with bread and water I should be content. Even if not allowed to roam and climb, tethered to a stake or a tree in some meadow or grove, even then I should be content for ever. Bathed in such beauty, watching the expressions ever varying on the faces of the mountains, watching the stars, which here have a glory that the lowlander never dreams of, watching the circling seasons, listening to the songs of the waters and winds and birds, would be endless pleasure. And what glorious cloudlands I should see, storms and calms, a new heaven and a new earth every day, I and new inhabitants. And how many visitors I should have! I feel sure I should not have one dull moment. And why should this appear extravagant? It is only common sense, a sign of health, genuine, natural, all-awake health. One would be at an endless godful play and what speeches and music and acting and scenery and lights! Sun, moon, stars, auroras! Creation just beginning, the morning stars still singing together, and all the sons of God shouting for joy! End of section 12